Hi, folks. This is Steve Arbato, and this is the Steve Arbato Leadership Hour. Uh, you are listening to us on AM 970 on a beautiful Sunday, hopefully. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. How are you, Steve? It's a great day. It is a great day, and this has been an exciting uh, experiment, if you will, in radio, podcasting, um, or on video as well. Um, this is, in fact, a series that looks at, the Leadership Hour looks at leadership from all aspects. What does it mean to be a great leader? Uh, why do so many leaders fail? Uh, why is it that so many leaders have a hard time admitting that they're wrong? What are the keys to being a great leader? And today, uh, in just a couple of moments, we'll be joined, <coughs> excuse me, by our good friend, Elise Glennon, who is Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer of an organization called the New Jersey Sharing Network. She also heads up the Sharing Network Foundation. She'll be talking to us in a second about that. Uh, but Mary, let me ask you this. Real quick question. Before we get Elise on the line, a great part of leadership is about public communication. You and I have talked about this for years. Uh, we run a not-for-profit stand-and-deliver program where we teach leadership and communication skills to teenagers. Um, you were not born in front of the camera, were you? I was so not born in front of the camera. I'm not comfortable in front of the camera per se, or I didn't think I really was until you and I have had the privilege of being in the studio with you now a few times. And it's fun. It's it's when you envision it a, as having a conversation, which is a lot of what presentation is all about, you can really then step aside and get rid of the nerves and get rid of all of that and just have a good time with it. But it is a way of thinking. It sure is. And we'll talk about this a little bit later on. My whole philosophy that leaders engage people, have conversations with people. They don't always make speeches and presentations. They connect with people. And uh, by the way, if you want to connect with us, people can find us on Facebook, uh, Steve Adubato, A-D-U-B-A-T-O-P-H-D, and also on Twitter, at Steve Adubato. Go on our website. We won't sell you anything because we have a lot of great clients There's already. a lot of great columns up there. They can learn more tips and tools, leadership, communication. It's free. It's free. It's but, free. But they, the books... Particularly my latest book, Lessons in Leadership, is that free? That is not free, but they could reach out to me and I'd be happy to get them a copy and we can work out the business end later. Yeah, I don't like to do the business. <laughs> so go on our website, stand-deliver.com. And by the way, I mentioned her before. Talk about great leaders. On the line right now, we have Elise Glennon from the New Jersey Sharing Network, the Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer. Elise, how you doing? I'm good, Steve. I'm honored to be part of your show today. Well, it's a great Honored to have you. At least before we uh, even get into leadership, talk about leadership and making a difference. Let folks know what the Sharing Network is. Oh, the Sharing Network, a, it's a, an honor and privilege for me to be part of its mission. We handle the organ recovery for transplant for central and northern New Jersey. And, you know, what we see every day are heroes who donate their organs upon their passing to save someone else's life and have their legacy uh, live on through someone else. So that, that's what I get to be a part of every day. By the way, Elise, uh, we would be remiss if we did not allow you, encourage you, to give the website of the Sharing Network so if people want to find out more about organ and tissue donation, they can do it. What is it? It is njsharingnetwork.org. Say it again. NJ, as in New Jersey, njsharingnetwork.org. And by the way, as we do this program, uh, we're doing our Leadership Hour uh, radio show podcast. In fact, this Sunday, we'll, we'll, this will be taped out of time. 
but tell folks what's coming up this Sunday. Uh, together with our uh, production team, I'm coming down there with uh, a production company. We'll be filming, taping a whole series of interviews at the Sharing Network 5K? Yes, it is our, it is our eighth annual 5K race and walk. You will see over 10,000 people come together to celebrate life, to celebrate their loved ones who have passed, and to celebrate uh, the lives they were given through organ transplantation. So it's a beautiful, passionate, uh, warm, embracing day for everybody who is in attendance, and we're so glad you're going to be there as well. Well, my honor. It's interesting. Someone might ask, why are you, ask, why are you talking about the sharing network in connection with leadership. And here's the connection. Mary and I have often talked about this. How is, you're a not-for-profit, right? Yeah. Do you think that not-for-profit leadership, getting people, and you you and your and the CEO there, a great uh, colleague of yours, Joe Roth, our great friend, you're trying to get people to give money. You're trying to get people to volunteer. You're trying to get people to make the decision to donate their organs, uh, a loved one, a family member, if God forbid all kinds of situations have happened, to give the gift of life. How much of leadership is the same or different in a not-for-profit organization versus a bottom line business, just make money? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, you know, first of all, I think that in any kind of leadership, whether it's for-profit or not-for-profit, you have to believe in what you're doing. Leadership has to come from a very genuine place. That might be easier at New Jersey Sharing Network. It might be easier in a nonprofit setting where what you are trying to lead and inspire people to be part of is something incredibly meaningful. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it still takes uh, the leader to feel very genuine about what it is they are trying to inspire their people to do. I mean, at the Sharing Network, in my leadership role, I am both trying to inspire our staff, our 180 employees, um, and lead them to do great work every day and to be passionate about their work and, and eager and team-focused and dedicated. At the same time, trying to serve the community in more of a servant leadership capacity um, and serve our donor families and serve our recipients, mm. our hospital partners in the general community and, and lead them into wanting to support, as you said, uh, support our mission through either philanthropy or volunteerism or them, they themselves signing mm. up to be an organ donor. Elise, were you born to be the leader you are today or did you grow into it? You know, I, I think that People are somewhat predisposed to take on that leadership role. I think it's also something that can be learned for me personally. Um, you know, when I was back in elementary, middle school, and high school, I often took on the role of the leader <laughs> of whatever organization I was involved in. You were that so kid? Definitely, I was that kid, yeah. You were. <laughs> I, I think I was in some respects, yes. So and and straight through straight straight through college. So um, whether or not I was born with it is certainly something uh, that throughout my resume, so to speak, going all the way back to elementary school, I definitely took uh, leadership or kind of stepped up in, into that role. I'm I'm also the oldest child. I know there's all studies that go into that. Yep. But certainly in my family. Um, you know, I'm I'm the the oldest child. However, however you want to play that out. You guys, let me ask you this, because Mary and I we talk about our own kids and we talk about 
what responsibility we have to, quote, teach them leadership. Do you believe parents not only have a responsibility, but are capable of teaching leadership to their kids? I think in many, in many respects, yes, we do have that responsibility and that ability to do that. Um, I have four children, and I see something different in each of them, and I, I, and I don't think they're all going to grow up or, or be leaders. I see them in their own circles right now. They are not all leaders. Um, and I don't mean that in any kind of negative way. So They're different. Aren't going They're just to different. Emerge as a leader. Hmm? They're just different. They're different. Yeah. So, and I'm, you know, I, I, I like to think I parent them all the same, but I'm sure I don't because everybody has their own personality, <laughs> right? Similar to a work scenario, you you like to think you're treating everybody exactly the same, but you can't because we're human and we're people and we we have different interactions. So I, while I do think that a parent can can help their children grow. Not everybody, we can't have all leaders, basically. You can't, you can't have all leaders. We need, you know, for the world to go round, we need some people to, mm. to be the doers, right? Yeah. So how about this one? As a woman, as a leader who happens to be a woman, mm-hmm. I be, I, I'm sure Mary is going to be tired of me asking this question, but I need to. We've interviewed a couple of guys already who happen to be leaders. I've asked them this. I'll ask you. Do you think there are any significant differences between the way women lead and men lead based on gender? I mean, my, my first answer is I want to say yes, but I've seen examples of, of women who take on, say, a stereotypical or traditional characteristics of men in their leadership style. Which would be what, would, Elise? Come on. Which would be what? Which would be a little harder, a little more. You don't need to answer that question, Elise. Yes, she does need to. Mary Gamba is here to protect you. She doesn't need protection. (laughs) What do you mean, typical male leadership characteristics? What do you mean, our good friend Elise Glennon, from the New Jersey Sharing Network? I I mean... What I mean by stereotypical or implied or whatever, male characteristics would be to be more hard-nosed, not caring necessarily as much about the employee, more about, let's say, the bottom line. Um, Women, again, stereotypically or what one might think of would be more caring about the employee or want to come more to a consensus rather than be sort of more of a a dictator or something like that. I have not in my experience, in my experience, I've seen men be both hard and soft in that, in their management style and likewise with women. So I think, a, you know, a variety of things go into somebody's leadership style, not just male and female. Uh, However, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I will say, though, that um, not in a management role, but let's say at a board table, at a board table where there's even, you know, half men and half women, I do think it is more challenging, even for women who are predisposed to be leaders, to have a voice at that table. I do think that women need to to speak up louder, that they need to show up more than men need to. That might be a little controversial, but I do think that in a boardroom type setting, uh, in general, I'm being very broad here. Um, men are more uh, likely to be accepted right away in their leadership role. Women have to prove themselves a little more. Were you influenced? I have a bunch of leadership books here. Um, John Maxwell's book, Jim Collins's book, Good to Great, um, a whole range of mm-hmm. John Cotter on change, 
et cetera, et cetera. Mary has uh, Spencer Johnson's, what's mm-hmm. his? Who Moved My Cheese. Who Moved My Cheese, which is our favorite book about change. And Mary and I, mm-hmm. we'll talk about this book a little bit later on, uh, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff mm-hmm. by Dr. Richard Carlson. Were you influenced at all by Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In? Uh, I did not read her book at all, although I had read Good to Great and Who Moved My Cheese. Classics. That's why we like you so much. (laughs) But did you know Elise's favorite leadership book? No, which one is it? I think it's Lessons in Leadership by Steve oh. Adebayo. What are you laughing for, Elise? Did you know I was going there? I think he teed so. that one up and he hit a home run. <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm sorry. I go, so, but but the whole leaning in thing, whether you read it or not, forget it. How about the whole question of Sheryl Sandberg saying, "Lean in, ask for that raise, ask for that promotion, be more assertive." You say? Oh yeah, I agree with that. I'll have to read the book because I I do agree that women. Um, don't do that enough. Really? um, I feel I do. I feel I do that at the board table. I speak up. I lean in. um, And I do try with the women that I work with and that I mentor, I try to impress that upon them and give them that, I don't know what you want to call it, courage um, or that permission. Maybe I should call it that, the permission to do that. Uh, Because even though it's 2018, we still have a long way to go to catch up. So these are lessons in leadership from our great friend, Elise Glennon, who is vice president and chief administrative officer of New Jersey Sharing Network, executive director of New Jersey Sharing Network Foundation. One more time, by the way, let folks know the website again, because organi- we, uh, to fully disclose this too, we have been working with the New Jersey Sharing Network for, I believe, four years now, promoting, educating folks being involved in public awareness around organ and tissue donation. People want to find out more, they go on the website. Go ahead, Elise. Again, it is? njsharingnetwork.org. Or reach out to me anytime directly. I'm happy to have a conversation. And by the way, there are still many people waiting for uh, organ donations, are they not? Yes, there's 120,000 people nationally, and 4,000 of them live right here in New Jersey waiting for an organ transplant. Elise, uh, Mary and I, I know I speak for Mary here, uh, I shouldn't speak for Mary. Go ahead. You thank her. No, uh, thank you, Elise, so much. And I think, really, you made us think of leadership even in a, a different way. Anyone that's listening right now, be a leader. Register to be an organ donor. Uh, learn what it means. Learn about the myths and the facts and step up and lead in your own way. So thank you for for sharing that with us. Well said. That actually is being a leader. It it's, really is. It's being a leader to it, say, I want to make a difference and I want to donate Mm-hmm. My organs. Yeah. Too or... many people think it's going to be somebody else. There's an emerg- There's an accident on the parkway. I drive it every every day, and everybody thinks someone else is going to stop to help because there's so many other people that will do it. But if everyone thinks that, nothing's going to happen. And that's not leadership. Elise, thank you, our friend. Yes, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. It was great talking to you. All the best. Thank you, Elise. She, she's one of our favorite people. I love Elise. She's the best. By the way, she's also on the board of the Caucus Educational Corporation, our not-for-profit production company. Um. Let's follow up on a couple of things she said. Pandora's box, the what? the women in leadership. I, I loved her response. I loved that taking it now, I I see a lot of what's going on, and it's it's very, very exciting having women and lean in. Sure, I think that book definitely helped to propel this Does movement. Me Too, is Me Too part of it? I think, oh, goodness, I, I probably, well, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll probably get a lot of haters hating oh, oh, me right is, now. Is Me Too, hashtag Me Too, a part of women 
expressing leadership or being leaders? To me, that was more about following than leading, in my personal opinion. The Me Too felt to me that it was a lot, it's easy to do a hashtag Me Too. It's easy to share a story. It's not easy to get, no, not your own story, not, Mary. No, 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 not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying across the board blanket story. I'm just saying, though, I think that sometimes if there is a movement, a Me Too or whatever it is, whatever movement, sometimes, whether it's young women, uh, women in leadership positions, if they jump onto that, and I don't want to use the word bandwagon again, I don't want to get any haters out there, but I think that if you're using it as a tool to empower yourself and others, that's fantastic. And how about to make change? And to, yes, absolutely. But if and you're to hold using... certain people accountable who conduct themselves, men who have conducted exactly. themselves for years as leaders or in leadership positions in disgusting and appropriate ways. Agreed. That is the appropriate way to use it. However, if, you know, upon seeing a lot of people who are using the Me Too movement, sometimes it goes too far in the opposite extreme just in my opinion. So I think there needs to be a healthy balance between the, what I don't want as a woman, as a woman leader, I don't want to have, I don't want to use the word pity, but I don't want to have a pity party because I'm a woman. I don't want to have a, you know, jump on this bandwagon because I'm a woman. You want to be seen differently because you're a woman at I all? do not want to be seen not differently. No, I don't want to be seen differently. I want to be held to the same standards as men. I want to have those same expectations and and I want the same rewards. So yes, I want to be paid the same. I want to have my voice heard the same. The Me Too movement is fantastic if it's giving young women or women in general the confidence to step forward. Well, let's stay on this. Let's move off the Me Too thing, but stay on this whole Definitely. gender issue. My wife and I, the lovely Jennifer, who's listening right now on Sunday at 2 p.m. on AM 970, and she'll listen again on the podcast. Do you think Bill will check this out, your husband? Oh, I'll make them check it out. <laughs> yes, I will. Mary is the co-CEO of her house. Absolutely. So, so here's what I'm curious about. Jen will often, my wife will often say to me, with our daughter Olivia, whom I absolutely adore, uh, as most dads do with their daughters, we have three boys before that. I had three boys before. I believe I speak to them, my interaction with them, the way I carry myself with them, and I'm not going to turn this into a show on parenting. But it's different. My tone is different. My wife will often remind me, you can't talk to her the same way. And I don't think I do, but she says it's subtle and I don't pick it up. So here's my question about leadership. Do you think at times that either my interaction or a lot of men mm -hmm. who interact with other men speak in certain ways with men and are much more direct, blunt, and frankly, I'm not going to say crude, that's not the right word, but just like in your face and with women, it requires a different, not across the board, but in many cases, because of socialization and a range of things, a different style? It is. Or everyone the same way? No, and I, I think that is something that be, that needs to change. By the way, no one wants to talk about this. This is sort of on PC. It is on PC, but I think it's also a great opportunity when we're talking about leadership and we're talking about raising future leaders to not bury our head in the sand and just say that it's one universal. I'm not saying that every single child, whether they're a boy or a girl, if you're raising a daughter or a son, you need to find the right fit for them. And Olivia, who is beautiful and the sweetest thing ever, by the way, she is just so sweet. Um, Only seven, but go ahead. Exactly. So she may need to be talked to in a certain way in order to get your point across. So I always use the expression equal versus fair. Well, take it away from kids. That's what I'm doing. So in work, in the workplace, everything is not always going to be equal. 
whether it is uh, the amount of, hey, great job, or it's the amount of work that I give one person over another based on, or you pay people. I'm sorry, Mary, people don't perform the same. And And in my view, leadership is about rewarding those, recognizing those who perform at the highest level. Exactly. And with all due respect, those in the leader's view who do not, Mm -hmm. and by the way, if you think they're terrible, get them, as Jim Collins said in his book, Good to Great, get them off the bus. But if they're on the bus, you treat them fairly, you treat them respectfully, but you do not treat – look, Mary, you've been together – we've been together for how many years? 19, almost 19. I've, I've always thought you were a superstar from the day I met you. By the way, the book that is right on your left that uh, – you happen to be working for one of the healthcare systems that I we was. coach uh, at uh, Barnabas, mm-hmm. now RWJ Barnabas Health. I was a patient there. You were a patient rep. I was a patient representative. It was my job to go in and make sure the patients were happy, which was a not a very easy task because who could be happy if they're in the hospital? And I was one of the patients. You came in. We started the conversation. This book. Mm-hmm. Don't Sweat the, the Small Stuff, uh, and it's all small stuff. By Dr. Richard Carlson, the late Dr. Richard Carlson. We got into a conversation, and one thing led to another. That's why we work together. Trust me, there's a reason for the, me bringing this up. So I have to tell you, that one of the reasons you get, and I'm not going to make this about you. You can make I, it about me, though. That's fine. Well, one of the reasons I recognize <laughs> you more, one of the reasons, and this is about whoever someone in your office, whoever you have someone in your office who, said, let's just say, is really one of the best. He or she should get paid more. They should get recognized more. They frankly stand out. If but, you don't do that, that's poor leadership. Exactly. But whether that person happens to be a man or a woman, it should not matter. And that's just to bring this full circle. That's okay. how we started the conversation. No disagreement. And whether that is a woman doing my job and, or a man, if I were a man in the same role, the same level of expectation, that same bar, is it needs to be set. But the challenging of people, I'll get off this, I promise, but the challenging of people and the tone that you use, you mm-hmm. think it for a leader should be any different with a man or a woman? Personally, in my opinion, it's different for every individual, regardless of whether they are a man or a woman. Gender is not relevant. In my opinion, correct. A um, couple other things we want to talk we've got about. Ten, Brian, we've got about 10 minutes left. There are a couple of other uh, items I said we, wanted, we should be talking about. Go. Mm-hmm. We uh, talked about asking questions. We talk too much. We have too much that we feel somebody else wants to say. So asking questions is sometimes just as important as listening or communicating. It's part of the communication process. So let's talk about this. I was influenced greatly by another book, and I'm holding this up if you're watching on camera. It is called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life by Dr. Marilee Adams. Dr. Adams, check her out. Here's the reason I'm mentioning it. I've often thought that being a really good leader means that, you know, the right question to ask at the right time to the right person for the right reasons to potentially achieve the best, dare I call it, right outcome. Sounds so simple. The tone that you ask the question matters. Dr. Adams talks about in her book, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. The difference between accusatory, judgmental questions, right? Mary, why did you screw up? I mean, tell me how you feel when I ask. Person's going to shut down. I shut down. I, or I get argumentative and defensive. By the way, I used to do that a lot more in our, in our earlier years together. Absolutely. And things have gotten a lot better, brighter. The days are easier when those questions are posed in a different way. So here's the thing. What Dr. Adams says is stop with the why did you screw up questions. And she says, and I really am, I've been working on this, and 
by the way, this is for everybody. Instead, ask a question, Mary, help me understand, why is it that we did X, Y, Z when we're trying to achieve ABC? I want to understand. And if you genuinely want to understand, and she calls them learning questions, right? As opposed to trying to set Mary up or anyone for, all right, you're giving me the wrong answer, now we're going to have a problem. What do you make of that whole thing about asking questions? I think that it's all about, well, first of all, I do want to say just a little plug to our website, stand-deliver.com. We have a lot, Steve, you have written a lot of great articles on this very topic. So, yes, the book Change Your Questions, Change Your Life is fantastic, but there's a lot of free stuff on our website. Including articles on this and other topics. Articles go on, on the this. site. And how do they get those articles, as by the way? As soon as you go on the homepage, right along the top, there's a button that says Columns. You click on it, and there's a free archive of thousands of columns right up there. Stand-deliver.com. You were saying what? Sorry, I just had to put that in there. But with questions, open-ended questions are a key. You were just talking. You were just saying, of course, tone, how a question is phrased is important. But just as important as not have it be a closed-ended yes or no question. So the example that you had given, why is it that this, 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 and this What's wrong with you? As compared to that, number one, if you come at someone with a very harsh tone and very accusatory, that person is going to shut down and get defensive. Exactly. I would shut down. I did. I used to shut down and just hang up. You see up other people or... shut down on our team. Exactly. By the way, you would hang up. I just want to clarify. I have hung up, and I'm so sorry. I'm publicly, Don't be sorry. I'm publicly apologizing. No. The reason you hung up is because you didn't want to go to a bad place. <laughs> right. Exactly. And there's been times I haven't hung up, and we did go to that bad place. And either way, yet the end is still the same, right? So the more positive way of moving an issue forward, if there's a challenge, if something went wrong, is to come at it, change your question. And by changing it, you get a better response. There's an improve. It's interesting. Dr. Adams argues that for leaders or anyone else, when you change your questions, the reason she says change your life, in the name of the book, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life, is she says when you change your questions to be more learning questions, like you genuinely want to understand, you change the course of the conversation, which then has the potential to change the dynamics of a relationship, which then can change your life. And the truth is, my wife and I, Jen and I, will get into these sometimes ridiculous arguments. And the questions I'm asking when we go to a bad place, it's like, why did you tell me why you did that? Or how about the best thing when you ask a question and you know what the answer is going to be, or you think you know what the answer is going to be, so you're not even listening to the answer that the person's giving? Oh my God. How do I even do this show making these mistakes? I, but we're don't learning. Don't answer that question. I won't. Um, the other thing we want to talk about can we talk about meetings? Yes. Yes. Why are there so many meetings? Why do they go on so long? Why do we never know what the, not never, but too often not know what the point of the meeting is? Mm -hmm. And why are they every day? Exactly. I have a friend of mine, and we usually talk in the morning when I'm on the way to work. And every Monday morning, 9 a.m., they have a standing meeting. Now, first of all, if you're going to have a standing meeting, don't do it on a Monday at 9 a.m., Right. That's Why? not a good time for anybody. You need to get in, especially if you were Jersey traffic, Jersey traffic. You've just got to get your mind clear. You need to set the stage for your day. Some people might argue, hey, we're going to kick this week off with a great meeting. In my opinion, you need to let your team get situated if you are going to have a standing meeting. But as you and I have talked all these years, don't meet just to meet. What do you mean? By the way, that, that this is Mary Gamba offering her expertise on leadership. This is Steve Adubato. This is the Leadership Hour on AM 
970. What do you mean meet does just to meet? You got to meet, right? A lot of people and a lot of organizations feel like having that standing meeting is an opportunity to connect with your team. But the greatest organizations, you're doing that all day long. Touch points, whether it's with email, whether you're getting up and going into your peers or colleagues' office to ask where they are on a project. You don't need to have a reason or a standing time to have a meeting. Sometimes you do, but very, very often you don't. You know, by the way, if you go on our website, stand-deliver.com, the reason we're plugging it right now is there's a whole series of articles on um, meetings. And by the way, the chapter in the book, do you know the name of the chapter? Don't even look. Don't look in Lessons in Leadership, my book. What is the name of the chapter on meetings? Oh, the exact name of the chapter? Don't even look. It's called, Oh No, Not not Another another meeting. Meeting. I feel like that was a quiz and I just failed. You did. It's all right. But I'm it's not okay. I'm, I'm not into blaming anymore. No. So here's the thing. <laughs> in that chapter, and if you go on the website and grab some of the articles on meetings, here's what it says. It says, look, some questions to ask. A, why are we even having this meeting? Why are we having this meeting? B, who should be in the meeting and why? Who shouldn't be? C, how long is this meeting going to last and live by it? Next, what are the specific goals of this meeting? Sort of set instead. I used to see meetings that, that the agenda item was budget discussion. Well, what are we talking about? The budget. How long are we talking about the budget? I don't know. When do we know when we're done? I don't know. Instead of saying budget discussion, your agenda item, as a leader, in my view of that meeting, should be specific ways to cut the budget by 10% over the next six months for argument's sake. That means you know exactly what the goal is. We're cutting the budget by 10% and you come in with recommendations to cut the budget. And the other thing is ask yourself how you can engage each person in the meeting. The word engage is big for us because if I'm in the meeting and all I'm doing is listening to one report after another, one presentation after another, how disengaged am I? You're going to tune out. All of us have been in meetings where you just are either making a mental to-do list or worse, I find myself guilty of all, all the time. I, I make it seem like I'm taking notes. Never in our meetings, of course, because our meetings are so dynamic and engaging. I don't have to worry about faking it. Stop patronizing me. Go ahead. Okay, that was good. Uh, but it's creating an actual written list of things that you need to do or get done. Your mind drifts away. So you really do. If the people in that room have a genuine need to be there, then you need to engage them and let them add value to that meeting. Because if not, what are you doing? You know what? This is for everybody listening to us on AM 970 right now. If you have the ability as the leader, manager, whatever, to no longer have a particular meeting that, frankly, you don't even know what the purpose is, and you can get that information via email, you can pick up the phone, you can walk down the hall, you can have a conversation, stop with the meetings. Because here's what happens. We only have so much energy in a day, in a week, in a lifetime. If you suck up all of our energy in counterproductive, wasteful meetings, then we don't have the energy we need to do the stuff we have to do. So stop with the meetings just to meet. It doesn't make sense. And we use this word in our first um, Leadership Hour program. I use it again. It's not strategic. We There's no reason for it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I got a minute no, and a half left. Minute and a half. Uh, strategic is key. Everything you do should have a reason, a purpose, an outcome, and there needs to be some sort of a call to action. We talk about that all the time. When the meeting is done, what are we going to do by when? Who's going to do what by when? 
Because if not, you just spend an hour of your life and then you just all go into your own offices. No, you need to have a specific plan of who's going to do what by when. Imagine you end a meeting. People say, why did the meeting end? And the answer is fatigue. Yes. It's like the meeting ended because people were exhausted. And you don't then say, Mary, I need you to do X, Y, Z by so-and-so, and I want you to work with Laura, Laura, Laura Van Bloom, our great vice president of marketing. Work with Laura on that, and I need for you to do such and such by that day. And if you can't do it, you need to say, Steve, listen, we have other things on our agenda. We have to agree to something. Otherwise, what is the point of meeting if I don't even know what we're supposed to do to move the ball down the field? This is the Leadership Hour. I got to tell you something. Mary and I have been talking about doing this for months. And thanks to our great friend Jerry Crowley over at AM970 gave us the opportunity to do this. I thought it would be fun. I never thought it would be this much fun. It's a lot of fun. A lot of topics to cover. Yep. So this has been the Leadership Hour. I'm Steve Adubato. I can get that out. That is Mary Gamba. Go to our website, stand-deliver.com. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Adubato, A-D-U-B-A-T-O. Facebook, Mary is? Facebook is Steve Adubato, Ph.D. By the way, I want to thank all of our clients who, uh, frankly, believe in us and allow us the resources to do a program like this. And stay tuned. If you've been listening to the first half of the Leadership Hour, coming up, Mary, is? State of Affairs with Steve Adubato. Where we talk to leaders of all stripes in the state of New Jersey dealing with difficult challenges and problems. And you can like them or not like them, agree or disagree, but they are the leaders in place right now. This is the Leadership Hour. Steve Adubato for Mary Gamba. We'll check you out next time. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. Hi, I'm Joe Roth. At New Jersey Sharing Network, we're committed to saving and enhancing people's lives through organ and tissue donation and informing people about our life-saving mission. That's why we're proud to support programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by the New Jersey Education Association, Englewood Hospital and Medical Center, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, New Jersey Sharing Network, dedicated to saving lives through organ and tissue donation, the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, Fedway Associates, and by Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University. Promotional support provided by The Record, North Jersey's trusted source and NorthJersey.com. And by Meadowlands Regional Chamber, building essential connections that drive business growth. Welcome to State Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. I can do that. Coming to you from the NJTV studio, the Agnes Ferris NJTV studio. It is our honor, our distinct honor, to represent the Lieutenant Governor of the great state of New Jersey, the Honorable Sheila Oliver. Good to see you. Always good to be with you. Um, this is not, to, not really your hometown, per se, but you've represented this area for a while. You know Essex County well. You make the transition to the Murphy administration as the top person administration with the governor, and you're running the Department of Community Affairs. What is the job like? Um, you know, interestingly, when I look at all the things I've done through my career, I've often said I can sit in any chair and do any job. 
So, um, you know, from running a nonprofit, the leaguers for many years, mm -hmm. uh, working in the Essex County administration, I did a variety of different jobs. So, t transferring all that knowledge and experience to Trenton serves me well because many people, career people in Trenton, they've been in one department doing one job. I am bringing a broad perspective mm -hmm. of statewide problem solving uh, to my job as Commissioner of Community Affairs and as Lieutenant Governor. Having the opportunity to have been in the legislature for 14 years That's right. and having been Speaker of the Assembly brings me a whole, as Governor Christie used to say, toolkit. Mm, that's right. That is really enabling me to not just do my own job, but to help a lot of the people that I work with in the administration. Lieutenant Governor, if you were to describe the top two issues that you are most concerned about as Lieutenant Governor in this administration, what would they be? It is economic growth for this state and it is affordability in this state. Define affordability. Affordability, the ability of a family to live that dream of home ownership, sending their kids to college, being able to take vacations every mm -hmm. now and then, and to have to live in a safe community with amenities. That, that is mm. something that I think every family, no matter what county they come from, what, that's what everybody wants. You know, it's interesting. You talk about affordability, and I know that you're particularly interested in, in prenatal care and in, in early child care. We happen to be doing a series to disclose uh, called Right from the Start, NJ, that deals with toddlers and infants and prenatal care and, and, and state reimbursement uh, for child care, et cetera, et cetera. Where does that fit into the agenda from your point of view? The first few years, say birth to three, is there a place? If we do not, uh, in New Jersey, first of all, expand access to pre-K education and infant care. Yeah, not just pre-K four and five, but in zero, two, zero, zero, one, two, zero, one, two, three. And if we look at women's return and participation in the workforce, the one thing around the affordability issue mm. is women being able to return to the workforce and be confident that their child, zero to three, is in a safe place, being cared for properly, and getting early education. And I think if you look at some European countries, Scandinavian countries, they are way ahead of us on this issue of supporting families and women with their early We're playing catch-up. We're playing catch-up. Um, by the way, I think you saw our web. Jackie, was a website up, the Right From The Start NJ website. If you want to find out more information about that site, can we keep talking about money? Absolutely. Not that there's a lot of it in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. <sighs> school funding. There was a school funding formula passed in 2008, if I'm not mistaken, yes. during the Corazon administration. We had so many people coming on to the State of Affairs saying, we're not fun. The state is not putting enough money into the school districts that the formula said they should put there. I don't mean just urban. I'm talking about suburban, rural districts. Is that a legitimate argument? It is. What's it is the a, problem? It is a legitimate argument. Is it just not enough money? I, well, it has to do with prioritization and what we have prioritized since 2008. Um, I think, you know, the whole issue now of how we've passed the law mandating us to make mandatory payments into the pension fund, which we turned our heads and ignored for many, many years. Um, you know, there are some people in Trenton that say we don't have 
a revenue problem, we have a spending problem. Mm. But, you know, this it, it is unfair, you know, and there are communities in this state that get virtually little, little uh, help for, uh, in terms do of Do they state have legitimate aid. beef? Yes, they do. If they, I don't want to get to too many towns. They point to Jersey City, a booming uh, real estate market, Hoboken, a lot of money in that town. They say, wait a minute. They're getting way more state funding than they should, and some other communities get in the shaft, and they don't have the facilities they have. It's unfair, and you know I represented <coughs> Montclair for 14 years. My hometown. Yes, Montclair gets virtually no state aid. With a, excuse me, with a massive desegregation program, with a big transportation program that fund, that right. gets kids back and forth. That's right, and that drives up the property taxes in the town. I think I know. There are what I consider to be working class families in Montclair mm. that I represented who are paying $25,000, $27,000 a year in property taxes. And that is because they're funding the local school system. Uh, real quick, can we afford, as Governor Murphy said, free community college, two-year colleges, can we afford it? I believe that if we find a way to do that and we do it, you know, fastidiously, we can't do it all at once, what we will do is we will create broader opportunities for people to earn more money mm -hmm. over the course of their lives. Doable. Mm -hmm. Let me try this, uh, shift gears. This is, in fact, the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. You are receiving the Dr. Martin Luther King Leadership Award at the annual Stand and Deliver a not-for-profit initiative we have, Night of Eloquence, that's coming up. The legacy of Dr. King as a leader, as a man, as an American, as someone who did things that no one else could imagine, what does it mean to you? Prophetic. Uh, King was prophetic. He was before his time. The fact that we can go back and revisit his writings, his speeches, um, the things he tried to do organizationally all around the country, um, it means a lot. And you know what? This country has been waiting for a new Dr. King. Mm. And we have not seen the emergence of the type of leadership that he had. Um, and to think that this man only lived for 39, 39 years. years. You know, uh, Sheila, excuse me, uh -huh. calling you Sheila, sure. Lieutenant Governor, in the middle that we have left, I, I've known you a long time. Yes. We grew up in the same county and yeah. rough and tumble politics. Politics, I don't mean it's government service for you is in fact very personal. I, I saw you recently on a Facebook post receiving an award in Essex County. It's very personal. A minute left. Why is it so personal for you? Because what drove me into public service was a disdain for injustice. And early on, I realized government could be a vehicle to eradicate injustice. You knew that? I knew that did, as a kid. But how did you know that you had a, re <clears throat> excuse me, a responsibility to do something about it? Uh, because I had great teachers in the Newark public school system. I was always in honors English and literacy, and I read some of the greatest books ever written that focused in on this issue. Mm -hmm. Tale of Two Cities. That's right. Grapes of Wrath. Right. Those, they're, they're centuries old yes. concepts, and they're relevant today. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor, for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. We're honored by your presence. State of Affairs, we'll be right back right after this. 
To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Welcome. Uh, I'll get this out. <laughs> Former Governor Jim McGreevy, who is now the chairman of the New Jersey Reentry Corporation. Good to see you, Jim. Hey, good to be with you, Stephen. You have talked to us many times, not about your legacy as governor, but frankly, something right now that is much more important. And that is, as chairman of the New Jersey Reentry Corporation, describe the organization and who you serve every day. Sure. I mean, or, the organization is dedicated to those persons returning from state prisons and from county jails, from drug court, from federal prisons that are coming back home. And the reality is in the state of New Jersey that we have 10,000 persons coming back from state prison. Uh, we have upwards of almost 40,000 coming back from county jails. And so we serve all of those persons that are coming back to their community. And for many of them, Stephen, as you well know, that are maxing out of prison, I mean, they're coming back with the, the, the shirt on their back, and that's it. I mean, they don't have housing. They don't have addiction treatment. They don't have health care. They don't have a job. Sometimes they're homeless. Yeah, and, and, and so that's, you know, our responsibility. Our responsibility is, is to serve, as it says in, you know, the Bible, is to serve the least of these. I mean, they're poor, whether they're white, brown, or black, they're poor. Many of them are addicted, uh, and, and they're challenged. You know, you be in, if you're in prison for five years, mm -hmm. you're in prison for 10 years, think of what it is to come home and not have an identification card, not to have health care. Jim, give me some numbers. What does it cost, average um, annual cost, to have someone in prison? The average cost in the state of New Jersey is approaching $55,000 a year. Each prisoner? Each prisoner. What does it cost? $55,000 a year. For you and your colleagues. And we're not going to turn this into a commercial spot for your folks, but no, the but numbers less, are what they are. The, what the, does it cost? Yeah, it's, the numbers are less than $2,200 per person. To do what? To do what? To, to connect them to housing, addiction treatment, health care, employment and training. And legal services to clean up the legal wreckage of their back, of their life so that they can get a license, so that they can qualify for many of these programs. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's for us, Stephen, you know, candidly, you know, under the last administration, um, the Christie administration. Christie administration, you know, had a developed a, a great relationship. Uh, the governor and I used to joke, <laughs> we agree with one thing in common. This was it. And I said, governor, that's more than enough. But it's understanding that unless we're going to continue to build prisons and prisons and prisons, we have to at some point in time recognize people are coming home and giving them an opportunity. So, so the reason this is an issue, folks, just so everyone understands this, we're taping on April the 10th. You'll see the Chiron up on the screen that says it. There's a battle that goes on every year around yes. the state budget. The budget has to be agreed to by the governor and the legislature by the last day of June, midnight. As we do this program, in fact, watching NJTV News last night, there was a big story. They've been covering this on a regular basis. You testified before a legislative committee on the need to put, I believe, $5 million into yes. the state budget to support the work that you and your colleagues are doing. As we speak right now, and we don't know if it's going to change, it is not in the governor's, Governor Murphy's proposed budget. Do you know why? No. Candidly, no, I don't. Um, and by the way, we're going to ask the Murphy administration what their explanation is for this, just to make sure we have some balance here. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's just, you know, you know Governor because Murphy. Because he supports efforts 
to fight recidivism. He supports efforts uh, and opioid and drug addicted folks yep. who are committing crime. So I'm not sure what's going on here. Um, you know, and and that makes two of us. I I, I think it could be a matter of a, of an unfortunate mistake. It could be a matter of um, a, a bad decision. I know I make them every day. Um, I want to get back to a good place. I want to get back. To, I mean, uh, Senate President Sweeney, Speaker Coughlin have been clear and have been unequivocal in their support, and I'm so grateful. Uh, this should not be, it shouldn't be, certainly it shouldn't be a Democratic issue, it shouldn't be a Republican issue. I mean, this is about helping people help themselves so they don't return to prison. Jim, what if happens, uh, what happens if, look, someone might say you're a private organization, we're a private organization, all of our money doesn't come from government, we're out there funding, uh, raising private dollars. Your operation is different because? Our operation is different because the people we serve have been locked up sometimes for long periods of time, justifiably, by the state of New Jersey, and particularly if they're max outs, they walk out with no services, no benefits, and they're going to recidivate. And what happened? Okay, say that's the last they're part. They're going to recidivate. They, Stephen, they, they have to, you know, this was the classic for me when I was in seminary. I was up in Harlem and I was working at a reentry program, and I was like, I get it. People need to eat every day. People need to find a place to sleep. People need to earn money. People need to love, and people need to do have a function of and purpose. And when they don't have that, and when they don't that, that we're going to do. Uh, let me speak for the, me. I would do what they would do. They go out and use drugs. They go out and sell drugs. They go back to, to the same crimes. corner. Yeah, you go back. You're running and you're gunning and you're doping because you don't have any other options. When I see employers and they say, Jim, we got to have a process. I said, my guy's got to eat tonight. So what happens is. Yeah, you have to understand, like, you know, it's either going to be Penn Station or it's going to be like sleeping in parks or it's going to be a needle in the arm with hepatitis C and all those problems or we're going to get real. I mean, Stephen, the, the reality is why are we willing to spend, you know, I was just testifying for Bill the other day for Senator Cunningham. And we're talking about Senator Cunningham from Jersey City. Yes. Got a minute left, Jim. Go ahead. Okay. And you know, we're we're fighting to help people get training. And I was like, you know, if we were building another prison, everybody'd say, okay, game in. But now here we're talking about training. We're talking about doing alternate things. I think we're going to get there. I'm confident. Get there, meaning some with, agreement with the governor and the legislature yes. for funding of our reentry program. You believe that? Yes. You're a person of faith. I'm a person of deep faith. I have, my mother, I have my mother lighting candles in overdrive. She's doing novenas? Oh, like my mother, <laughs> exactly. Is an Irish novena, Catholic novena, different than Italian, Roman Catholic? Um, <laughs> Let's not go there. Exactly. They, they still work. They still um, work. Listen, we're going to promise. I know that our colleagues at NJTV News are following this on a regular basis. And I want to thank NJTV issue. News because this is like, our clients don't have a lobbyist. Our clients have, I mean, this is it. Well, it's an issue that isn't just about those folks who are looking for a second chance. It's about all of us who want them and need for them to do well because and they do children. not. And their children. It's about their families. You, we talk about education. There's nothing better for a kid than have a father who's sitting there working with a child. There's nothing better for a community. If that, we don't reunify families, that kid doesn't have a shot. Jim McGreevy, former governor, but right now, frankly, more importantly, the chairman of the New Jersey Reentry Corporation. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Stephen. God bless. Stay there. Same to you. We'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org.
If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. We are pleased to welcome Assemblyman John DeMeo from the 23rd Legislative District Republican. He is the Assembly Budget Officer. Good to see you, Assemblyman. Steve, thanks for having me. Describe your district geographically. Well, I represent uh, two-thirds of Warren County, about a third of Hunterdon, and a smaller portion, 70-some thousand in, in Somerset. Tons of Democrats, huh? Uh, well, there's, 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 there's enough. I have a lot of Democratic friends in my, some of my neighborhoods up there. I well, let's just, well. well, let's just say this. You, you, you've uh, represented your folks well, but we're not having you because of the district you represent. You are the chief point person when it comes to fiscal issues on the Republican side. I heard you on NJTV News, where we get much of our information. I heard you saying this budget that Governor Murphy has proposed is not good for the state of New Jersey, particularly because of the tax proposals specifically around taxing millionaires make the case well listen first of all 2.7 billion dollars in spending is twice what the entire budget went up during the Christie administration you mean an increase in the budget an increase in budget in one year versus the 8 years of of the previous governor that's aggressive 1.7 billion dollars in tax increases is also aggressive and listen when we raise taxes on higher income earners people like david tepper leave David Tepper, a billionaire who is, uh, excuse me, uh, a philanthropist who's given a lot to others, left. Well, he went to Florida. He claimed it was for better weather. How about no taxes there? Well, no, no income tax. No income taxes at all. And, and that was north of $100 million. And Sometimes I hear stories maybe close to $200 million we lost. a year that we lost. Right. And that has to be made up by the rest of us, meaning all the way down through the income tax scale. So, you know, it sounds great right. to tax millionaires, but the reality is we like to keep our higher income earners here because they pay the greater share of the, of the state income tax, the gross Sh income tax. Sure. Uh, something, by the way, excuse my allergies. It is allergy season, uh, my voice. But he, here's the much bigger issue. Some people say in order to fully fund the public schools, based on the formula that was passed, in order to get the pension situation under control, the public employee pension situation, which is grossly underfunded at $80 billion unfunded liability. In order to do the things the governor wants to do, um, you need to raise taxes on those who have the most. Sounds like a logical argument to many. Why is it not to you? It sounds like an easy argument. But where I represent is right across from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Why is that relevant? Well, people can drive five more miles to go to work and live over there. What's the tax rate there? 3%, 3 3.07, I think. On, on the income tax? On income tax. And ours is? 8.97 now at the highest levels. And proposed to go higher? Ten and three quarters. So you're saying the move to Bucks County, the move to Pennsylvania, is, is too easy for too many? Of course it is. Uh, even New York State's uh, highest income taxes rate, like 8.88, it undercuts us a bit on people making more than $500,000. So, I mean, we have to be competitive in the marketplace in all of our tax throughout the state of New Jersey. Not to mention that three-eighths of a percent of the sales tax doesn't sound like much, but it's a half a billion dollars, Steve. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Hold on. I, 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 I was, again, NJTV News did a story on the day the governor uh, had the budget address, and you and some of your colleagues were bashing the tweak. I mean, respectfully, Assemblyman, that's a small, small. What is the increase that he proposed in the sales tax? Three-eighths of a percent, but that was part of the deal that 
the previous governor made with the Democrats in the majority to get the gas, the tax, tax? The gas tax through. Oh, the gas tax. So that the lower income people wouldn't be hit as bad. So, I mean, listen, we have somewhere around 900 to a billion dollars of money that will come in organically as an increase or some uh, revenue that will, will go up naturally. Uh, why can't we try and live within our means? I mean, we're adding things to the budget like 50 billion more for college, free college right now. No, free community college. Free community college, I'm sorry, correct. 57 million for um, preschool. Now listen, oh, that sounds oh, yeah, great. Okay, so sounds what about great. for all the kids who can't afford the quality pre-K pre -K that our kids had, that, that our family had, because we're blessed financially to be able to do that? You're not saying you're against that. Governor Murphy's saying, let's do it. I'm just saying that it, money better spent within the formula aid for K through 12 schools that are underfunded now. What about an earlier start for those kids? Listen, it sounds great, but what happens down the road? Should we create new programs. This is part of the problem what's happened in government. We're like a mile wide in services and an inch deep on performance. We try to do everything for everybody. The reality is, Steve, we need to live within our means. I was taught you don't buy new stuff if you can't pay for what you got. My father's an old school Italian. Probably your father's a little like that, I imagine. Uh, our family's going to relate. And, and um, you know, the reality is we're not properly funding the school formula. We didn't properly apply the SFRA under the previous administration, which I had a great deal of discussion that with. That acronym stands for? Uh, school funding. Yeah, so that meant, I guess it's 2008 of, under the Corzine administration. Correct. It was said that we needed to change the school funding formula and certain communities. By the way, there are certain suburban communities, respectfully, Assemblyman, that are getting the shaft because the formula says this is what they should be getting. They're not getting anywhere near that. Well, there were some mistakes made by the previous administration. And listen. You mean the Christie administration? The Christie administration. Okay. Yes. And I, I told uh, the, the Commissioner of Education two years ago, Hespi, that they were wrong not to run the formula and start to make adjustments as the plan yeah. indicated. Now we're in such a, 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 a train wreck with the school funding formula. This is the number one issue. You say we deal with deal that with. before you deal with anything else? Correct. We should fund it to the best extent we can. And we, we're putting money in new places that. I'd, it doesn't sound like a bad thing. It's a good thing. But the reality is we can't keep expanding programs because we haven't mentioned this lately. We've been 30 in, seconds. Go ahead. We, we've been in an improving economy over the last six years, let's say. What happens when we have that dip in the economy and we've mm. added these new programs? Do we yank the rug or raise everybody's taxes? You know, uh, real on, quick on tax policy. Um, you okay with the, the president's tax policies and how they hurt New Jersey, some people say, and our inability to deduct our state and local taxes? Ten seconds. Go don't know if they're really going to hurt us because we may see money off of our, our income tax to, to, to cover that. We'll have you back. Talk about that and more after the budget is struck in New Jersey on July 1st. A lot of work to do. Thank you. Assemblyman John DeMeo, Assembly Budget Officer from the 23rd District. Thank you. Super. Come back again. I'd love to. Check us out. State of Affairs next time from NJTV News Studio right here in Newark. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway.
Funding has been provided by the New Jersey Education Association, Englewood Hospital and Medical Center, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, New Jersey Sharing Network, The Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, Fedway Associates, Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University, and by these public-spirited organizations, individuals, and associations committed to informing New Jersey citizens about the important issues facing the Garden State. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen, and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life.